0: Well, this morning it's good to see you. Thank you for the words. Thanks for sharing, Dan and Jen. That's great. We'll continue to pray for you. I wonder, Judah, could we have the first slide up, please? And then, oh, could we have the second slide up, please? Thanks very much. Ah, there we go. Good. Very good. I've got to start my own clock now, but I'll be more than three minutes. Sorry about that. Um, He was, so we aren't. He was, so we can't. He was, so we shan't. Should have been a poet, shouldn't I, really? I mean, look at that. He was, so we aren't. He was, so we can't. He was, so we shan't. Great, we'll come back to that in a moment. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, this morning, we're continuing our preaching series, uh, looking at uh, different aspects of the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the chunk and the title that I got was rejected uh, from Luke 4, 16 to 13 rejected so maybe not the most cheeriest of subjects uh if you like i'll be honest with you spoiler alert it starts not very good and gets better you know what i mean so that's where we're going and kind of in my silly mind's eye this morning i kind of had a picture of three steps that went down three things are not so great at all but then three things that kind of are better and go up so that's a little picture that i had in my mind And the three steps kind of going down, we're going to look at Jesus being rejected by the world. Second one, Jesus being rejected by his people. And then third one, Jesus being rejected by his Father. And then the three steps going up, we're going to look at well, what does that mean then in reverse order? What does it mean for us that Jesus was rejected by his Father? What does it mean for us that Jesus was rejected by his people? What does it mean for us that Jesus was rejected by The world. So let me let's read the passage together. I think it will come up uh, behind me on the screen. We're in Luke 4 16 to 30. If you've got your devices or paper Bibles with you, says this Luke 4 16 to 30. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this the Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, precision, which I always find difficult to say. It's a funny old word, isn't it? Heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You don't really want to mess with the Son of God, do you? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word, this story, we thank you uh, for it, and we pray by your Holy Spirit, you would just open up our hearts, open up our minds to hear what it is that you want to teach us today, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, let's start with the first three then, Jesus being rejected by the world, and really the term world here I'm using to mean people who have no history, no faith in the God of the Bible. Maybe people today that we would describe like Stuart in that 14 years. You know, uh, not Christians yet. People back in Jesus' day who were not part of the people of God, the nation of Israel, the Jews, as it were. And Jesus' rejection by people in the world generally, I suppose, started in their not accepting or recognizing who he was. I mean, the divine Son of God has just stepped down onto the earth and no one really welcomed him. I mean, three guys in the back of a stable is not really what the king of the universe should be, uh, you know, welcomed by. This is the one who made everything, the one who holds all things together. And yet there was no welcoming or accepting. I know at Christmas we celebrate, oh, wow, Jesus was born in a stable. And you think about it, it's a bit rubbish, really, isn't it? I think when President Trump came over, he bought 572 guards and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And when kings arrive, they bring massive tread. Jesus comes, like, three, three men in a bait. You know, it's like, that's how it was. I mean, that's what happens. And when you look a bit closer at the kind of the political rulers of the day, which of course in Jesus' time was the Romans, well, how they treated him was very much could be placed under that heading of rejected. King Herod, he wasn't a Jew. He was an Idumean, but he was appointed by the Roman Senate to rule over that area on their behalf and he ended up murdering his wife three of his sons his mother in law his uncles and anyone else who he suspected of treachery or anything else and he as the local ruler he tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby but when his efforts to identify where he was failed he ordered that all male babies in Bethlehem under the age of two were to be murdered kill every male under two in order that Jesus would be killed because he was under two. It's a shocking in every sense, but it kind of goes to show something of the level, the lengths, the depths that the world, so to speak, would go to in terms of rejecting Jesus. And of course, it wasn't just at the start of his life that the world as kind of shown through the actions of the rulers of the day, the Romans, showed their rejection of Jesus. But Fast forward through to the end of his life. They arrest him for no crime. They have a trial where there's no evidence that is reliable. Pilate, the Roman judge presiding, declares, I can find nothing wrong in this man. And yet, urged by the crowd, they sentence him to death. An innocent man having declared he's done nothing wrong. Maybe the mighty Rome wasn't so mighty and idealistic as they liked to say they were. And they beat him, and they whipped him, and they mocked him, and they crucified him on a cross. I'd say in anyone's book, that sits under the column of rejected. And there are numerous other examples right through the life of Jesus. When the world, as I'm describing it today, ordinary individuals, rulers, those in power, reject Jesus. They reject his teaching. They reject what he did. They reject what he was saying. Ultimately, they reject him. But maybe we could say, well, those who don't know God, who don't have any faith in God, maybe we can understand why they might reject his son. Maybe it's not that surprising. But, you know, we move on to the next group of people that rejected Jesus. And it's a bit more shocking because the next one is that he was rejected by his people. The prophet Isaiah talking about Jesus thousands of years before his birth said this about him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. John put it a bit more personally. He said, he came to that which was his own. That's Jesus. Jesus came to that which was Jesus' own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, his own rejected him. And I think that's a pretty good description of how generally Jesus was received by the people of God in Jesus' day. They did not receive him. They rejected him. Even though he's the Messiah, he's the promised one, he's the savior. He's the one who God has been saying through generations, I'm going to send one to you. Numerous prophets had explained about it. they have been told where he will be born, what he would do, when he was going to be. It's written down for them in the pages of the scriptures that they claim to live by. And yet when Jesus came to them, he said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that by studying them, you're going to have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says to them, I'm standing in front of you. And you are looking at the scriptures. Every word of that scripture talks about me. And yet you refuse to come to me. Basically, you reject me. The very people that should have welcomed Jesus, that actually were saying they were waiting for him. They've been told about him by God repeatedly. They rejected him. It's actually what we kind of see going on in this passage, the passage that I read. Because Jesus is in the synagogue. He's with God's people. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah explaining what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to set freedom for the prisoners, set the oppressed free. He says, you remember when Isaiah said, this is what was going to happen when the Messiah comes, Jesus read it out. And then he says, that's me. That's what I've come to do. This scripture that Isaiah wrote that we all know, guess what? It's fulfilled today in your hearing. There should have been great joy. They should have been jumping around. I can't believe this. The Messiah's come. We've been waiting through generations and he's here. And guess what? I was there. No, I was genuinely there. I was there on the day. Great news. And That's not the reaction. The reaction starts with, in this Joseph's boy, (laughs) you're not the Messiah. You're the carpenter's son. Essentially, they reject who Jesus is. That's what's happening in their heart. And Jesus knows this. And so he reminds them of these two occasions in their history when God has helped two non-Israelites. He reminds them, do you remember when in Elijah's, Elijah's day, that there were lots of starving people in Israel because of the uh, lack of food. But God sent his prophet Elijah to a starving non-Israelite in Sidon. You've got to get this. Lots of people starving in Israel. And guess what God does? He sends his prophet to a non-Israelite and feeds her. And then he says, and do you remember in Elisha's day, another prophet of God, that there were lots of lepers in Israel that needed healing? And God sent Elisha to Naaman in Syria. And the point that Jesus is making is that when Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, when they rebel and reject God's offer and messengers and messengers of redemption, he will cause non-Israelites to receive the covenant blessings that were previously promised to them. Do you follow that? That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, look. You, you are rejecting me, and I am God's great messenger. I am the Messiah. You are rejecting me. And therefore, those blessings, those covenant blessings that you should have received, well, I'm going to share them with people who are not the people of God, with the Gentiles, with the non-Jews, just like it happened in your history. Do you remember with Elijah? Do you remember with Elisha? And they get this. The crowd understand what he's talking about. Look at their reaction. Have you ever wondered why did they take him out of town and try and throw him off the cliff? Have you ever wondered? That, that seems like a bit of an overreaction. Such a violent reaction. This is, this, I mean, even if this is still Joseph the carpenter's son, we still don't throw him off the cliff. What made them drive one of their fellow countrymen out of town and throw him off the cliff? Interestingly, it's not for claiming to be the Messiah. It's not because he claimed to, to, to take the scroll and say, it's me, it's me. It's not that. It's for daring to suggest that the covenant blessings of God were going to be taken away from them and given to the Gentiles. That's what got them mad. It's easy to miss it in this passage. You think, oh, well, probably because Jesus said he was the Messiah. No, no, it wasn't that. That's what got them frustrated and, and murderous. Something of their rejection of Jesus was rooted in the fact that he was going to share the blessings that they'd enjoyed through their relationship with him, with other people, namely Gentiles. They didn't want to share. Why do you think we have such a problem sharing? <laughs> Why do we find it so difficult to teach our kids to share? It's just something we don't want to share. They didn't want to share. They didn't want to share the covenant blessings of God. So they rejected him. And unfortunately, Jesus being rejected by his own doesn't end at that kind of general people of God level. It gets more personal. Three years, Jesus' ministry, he gathered these 12 disciples close to him, lived with them, shared everything with them. He taught them. He provided for them. He looked after them. He loved them. He forgave them. Even when, you know, the rest of the crowd that he gathered walked away because they were saying your teaching is hard and it's costly, the disciple said, where else can we go? You're the son of God. Where are we going to go? And yet, and yet, Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, sold him out. When Jesus was arrested, it says in Mark fourteen fifty, some chilling words. It says, then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. Peter, James, John. All the disciples, everyone, deserted him and fled. Even as Jesus is being beaten by the Roman guards the night before his crucifixion, Peter is the other side of the wall, as it were, denying that he even knows Jesus. Talk about rejecting someone in their hour of need, and then remember the rooster crows, and Peter remembers that Jesus told him, you're going to deny me, or that crows three times. Now, look, I'm not blaming or standing on judgment on the disciples. I just want you to understand and feel something that in the end, that, that, that just as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he was rejected by everyone. He was rejected by the Romans. He was rejected by the world. He was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by his own disciples. He was re- when Isaiah says he's a man who was rejected, he was rejected. You've just got to understand that. <laughs> The extent of his rejection, how did that make him feel? However, I've got bad news for you, because it gets worse. (laughs) At this very moment, when maybe we think it can't get worse at all, his rejection gets worse. Because actually, the third step down, we've only done two, is that Jesus was rejected by a father. Up to this point, 33 years of life, three years of ministry, Jesus had been in perfect, obedient relationship with his heavenly father. Everything he's done is what the Father wanted. Everything he needed was supplied by the Father. Every lie challenge from the devil was countered by Jesus because he knew his identity was the Son of God. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. When the world and his disciples rejected Jesus, how was he able to continue to cope, not to get wrongly angry, bitter, depressed? It's because he remained in fellowship with the Father. That's why we see Jesus going off by himself to be with the Father. It was his relationship with the Father, perfect, that sustained him. From that he received love, joy, affirmation, security, per- from that. And yet, for a time, as Jesus hung on that cross, his perfect relationship with the Father was broken. was deliberately broken as the Father turned his face away from the Son as part of what he needed to suffer to pay the price for our sin. Let me just read the scripture to you, Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To forsake means to consciously abandon, to to deliberately and knowingly reject. It means the son is crying out to the father. You know I'm here and I'm suffering and you could do something about it, but you're not going to. That's what abandon means. And I believe that God's rejection of Jesus in that moment was the hardest punishment that he faced to pay for our sins. That was the ultimate rejection. Harder than being rejected by the world generally or his people specifically. Harder than being stripped naked paraded as a criminal, harder than the beating and being hung on a cross to physically die, it was for some period of time, he was completely abandoned and rejected by the Father, separated, cut off from his presence. That which he and his Father had enjoyed through all eternity past, stopped. That was the final rejection, the bottom of all things, the lowest point for Jesus and humanity, I believe. But what it accomplished for us was amazing which is why Jesus did it we start to climb up the steps now because we look at the question what did Jesus what does it mean for us that he was rejected by the father and i go back to my silly little poem that we've begun with the simple answer was he was rejected so that we aren't he was rejected so that we aren't. Basically what Jesus being rejected by the Father means for you or I if you're a Christian is that we will never be rejected by the Father. His rejection earned us, gave us, enabled us to have a way of acceptance. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will never experience rejection from God because Jesus has experienced it for us. He's paid that price. He paid that penalty the judge is satisfied the rejection i should have experienced on the day before I, that i stand before god i will not now experience in other words and put simply he was so we aren't let me read you a bit of a bible verse you can say wow because i think it is wow let me read you a bit from 2 corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And my appeal is to anyone this morning, if you're not a Christian, Maybe you lived with a sense of rejection. Maybe you feel like you've never been fully accepted. You don't need to wait 14 years. You don't need to wait 14 minutes. You can be saved right here, right now, this morning. Because God says that if you will ask for the forgiveness of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved this morning. You will be fully accepted, never to be rejected again. It's an offer that is made to you this morning by God. And for me as a Christian, I'll never have to face that rejection because of what Jesus has done for me. And therefore now, I live to serve him. I'm his disciple. I'm his apprentice. I live according to what he says. In other words, he was and so we are. And therefore, that or rather he determines how I think about the other two groups that rejected him. Are you with me? Because I now serve him. How I relate and think about those other two groups that rejected him, that is what governs it. So let's think about that just for a moment. What does Jesus being rejected by his own mean for us? And again, my simple answer is this. He was, so we can't. He was, so we can't. We can't reject our Christian brothers and sisters Because we've all been paid for by the same precious blood of Jesus. We've all been bought into the same family. Jesus gave numerous instructions that we should prefer one another, love one another, wash one another's feet, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, maintain unity with one another, forgive one another, not to give up meeting together, be hospitable to one another. The list just goes on. I don't I watched that program. Mortimer and White House go fishing. I think you have to be a certain age and a certain sadness to watch a program like that, and I fit into both. And, you know, they just fish, really. That's all they do, and chat about silly things. But it's fascinating. They had a doctor on there this week, and he was talking about, you know, that when we love and care other people, it's good for it. He said this. He said, we're hardwired to love and care for one another. I don't know if this guy's a Christian. He said, but we're hardwired to love and care for one another. He says, when we do that, a specific part of our brain lights up. You can see it on an MRI scan. I thought to myself, you're right, Doc. We are hardwired to love and care for one another. Guess why? Because God made us to love and care for one another. Jesus faced rejection by his people, and then he commands his people never to reject his people. I'll say that again. Jesus faced rejection by his people and then what he does is command us his people never to reject his people. Not because they don't do anything wrong, not because we're perfect, but because what he has done for us is greater than anything else. He commands that love and gratitude that we have for him gets expressed in how we love and care for our brothers and sisters, the church. In short, I believe that how I as an individual love and care for you, my brothers and sisters in this church, is not to be a reflection of how well I think you love and care for me. It's actually to be a reflection of how well Jesus loves and cares for me, which then gets manifest or made known or shown through how I love you, the local church. Do you get that? Far too many Christians, they're just looking for the perfect church. They're looking for the church that's going to do for them what they want everything done for them. They shouldn't do that. It's not biblical. We look to Jesus, and he gives us all our needs, and then we pour that out on his people. If you don't believe me, let me read you 1 Corinthians 12.20. As it is, there are many parts, but one body, one church. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Can't do it, can't say it. Jesus being rejected by his people means we cannot reject his people. Finally, what does Jesus being rejected by the world mean for us? And again, my silly simple answer, because he was, we shan't. We shall not. We shall not retreat into Christian ghettos or monasteries or glorious isolation. We are not going to do that. You know, we're not going to We're not going to flight. You know the classic thing of fight or flight when you're faced with something, you know, flight or fight. We are not going to flight. We're not going to just hide ourselves away, mumbling and reading the paper. We're just not going to do that. And we're not going to just get angry that people who don't believe in God don't act like people who don't believe in God. No, do act like people who don't believe in God. Be with me. We're not going to do that. We're not just going to get angry and, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I know they shouldn't be doing that. I agree with you. But they don't believe in God. They don't know him. And so, yeah, they do stuff that he doesn't want them to do. But going <laughs> at them, It's not actually going to do very much good. We're not going to fight in that way as the world fights when somebody doesn't agree. We're not going to do that flight or fight thing. That's what you see in the world do today. Withdraw or just get really angry and shouty and blah. We follow Jesus' lead, his instruction, his heart. We speak the truth in love. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. We understand that we're ambassadors. We're representing him. We're holding out his truth. We're trying to win people. We're not trying to be clever and just win an argument. And I believe as our nation becomes less Christian in its laws and ethics and thinking and practices, we as Christians are going to feel more and more rejected. I think much of what we believe and hold dear, we think, no, oh, our nation is, doesn't believe that anymore. And we're going to have to fight the temptation to fight or flight. <laughs> we're going to have to fight that, not to throw in the towel or rah, 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 grumble and moan. No, no, no. He calls us to keep reaching out. Remember that actually it's, it's Him that people are rejecting, not us. We mustn't get harsh or bitter with people. We've got to keep relying on the Holy Spirit. We've got to see past the lies and the noise and understand that people without God are lost and scared. They might sound big and bullying and we've got it all together. No, they're not. They're people without God and without hope. Somehow we've got to see through and see beyond. all the And not respond accordingly. We shan't flight and we shan't fight. But we're called to serve and to love and to hold out the truth of God. Let me read for you the next few verses from what I read to you from 2 Corinthians. As it goes on to say, having talked about Christ, not counting men's sins against them. says, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. We don't give up on the world. We don't give up on people. Rejected. He was by the Father, so we aren't. He was by his people, so we can't. He was by the world, so we shan't. Because we are to be his ambassadors. I just want to pray for us, if I may. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you were prepared to go through such things for us. To reconcile us back to God. And we can only look at you and say, thank you, Lord, for what you were prepared to do. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be your ambassadors and to represent you well in every situation and circumstance. And Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is available to us now to change us from the inside. Give us the words to say and the right heart to keep trusting in you. We thank you in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, the band are going to come back up now. We're going to have a worship song. And then I would love to offer to pray for anybody this morning who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I think we need the Holy Spirit and more of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be his ambassadors. And I believe this morning that God. Is very willing and able to fill anybody who's a Christian who wants to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And I'd love to pray for anybody who wants that. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit before, but you're a Christian, I'd love to lay hands on you and pray that God would fill you with his Spirit. And if you're a Christian and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit a hundred times, then I'd love to lay hands and pray that God would fill you for the hundred and first time. I have got no other prayer than. Jesus, will you fill this person with your Holy Spirit? That's it. That's as deep as it gets.